Hello and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and I am delighted to be joined again by Anne-Marie Rohring. She is the principal of 210 Analytics, and many in the produce industry, of course, will know her for her insightful reports and presentations. If you're a frequent listener of this podcast, you may remember that we talked to Anne-Marie a few months back about trends for 2023, and now that we're already into the second quarter of the year, we're checking back and discussing some of the ways that both retailers and suppliers can take advantage of some of the opportunities that are out there. So Anne-Marie, thank you so much for taking the time to join us again, and welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I cannot believe we are officially in the second quarter already. Where has the time gone? That's what I'm saying. I tell you what. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, let's, we will jump right in. I was thinking about online shopping, right? Of course, we saw the huge boom during the pandemic, and it slowed down a little bit since then. But I think even before then, and especially now, we talk about even if that sale isn't occurring in the online channel, that digital influence for the shop is all over the place. And of course, um, every retailer has their own set of ways that they connect with consumers. And so if you're a produce supplier, um, being able to partner with your, your retailers you know, in those networks that they already have, I think is a big opportunity. Of course, sometimes you pay to be in those channels. Sometimes you don't. It kind of depends. Um, But tell us a little bit about what that landscape looks like. Yeah. So you brought up e-commerce. So let's start there. Um, You're right. There was an enormous boom, but it really has retreated quite a bit since. In the first couple of months of 23, first quarter, um, we've really seen less and less engagement. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that there's just enormous pressure on income. And the primary measure that we see shoppers take is looking for which items are on sale. So we see more people sit around that kitchen table again with all the different flyers or perhaps their phones with all the different apps. Or, of course, there's different services that have all the deals for your marketplace right there in one convenient app. And we're actually seeing more trips being taken in 23 than we saw in the first quarter of 22, 21, et cetera, because people are just chasing those deals. A lot of cherry picking happening right now. Harder to do when you're online because oftentimes there is purchase minimums or one might use shipped, one might use Instacart, another one might pick it themselves. So I think that is part of the reason why we're not seeing as much uh, in the online channel as before. So, but to your point, it is not just about e-commerce. It's a lot about just digital engagement altogether. And that's where we see a massive, massive inroad. So thinking about where do people get their information? How do they decide what to cook for dinner? uh, How to create uh, different recipes, maybe creating TikTok type of trends, uh, that's really online. It's really moved from routine meals away from cookbooks, et cetera. And the big opportunity there to your point is how do you play in the right channels, depending on who your main audience is, and how do you translate that inspiration into an actual purchase? So I was actually working on a neat report when I went to the Google tracker things. You know how you can see what people search in Google. I went there and I typed in air fryer. Well, lo and behold, uh, green beans in the air fryer are a top 10 search right now. And it reminded me of something you talked about in a podcast where I believe Del Monte had um, 
air fryer kids, right? That's right. Um, and and so playing into that. So yeah, I mean, what's what's your experience in in doing that? You know, where are people looking, and and what are they searching for, and and how can brands really tie that back to a sale? Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting, Anne Marie, that you mentioned that folks are looking for for deals, and so that's contributed to more trips because people are looking around from place to place. Well, I'm going to get this over here at Sam's Club, but you know, my my local grocer is is really the best for this item, or I can't get that over here, or it's less over here, you know, all those kinds of uh, rationales. What are we seeing as far as promotional activity? Because I know that that is something that has been down a little bit in recent years. I think kind of starting with the pandemic, if I remember correctly, well, what are we seeing there and, and what do we anticipate for the rest of the year? You're absolutely right. So um, produce was one of the most promoted departments, as we as we call it. So when you look at what percentage of total dollars or what percentage of total pounds is sold on promotion, uh, produce was one of the highest ones across the store. And of course, especially in fruit, we know that beautiful visual fruit, the smell, the visual drives those impulse purchases, especially if there's a sale. Um, so we were looking at high 30s, sometimes low 40s uh, share of total dollars and pounds sold on promotion. Well, then pandemic hits. We can barely keep items in stock. We have a lot of supply chain issues and have had issues ever since. And that has really created a difficult situation to promote because it has everything to do with store satisfaction. When people go to the trips and they run out of stock into out of stocks, it has a massive impact on their trip satisfaction. Do that a number of times in a row and you you might lose the entire grocery trip. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's an item that was on sale and people go specifically to your store to find that item and it's out of stock, that trip satisfaction ding is even worse than it was if it was just a regular item. And so conservative is is really the attitude I would say that describes the the whole promotional landscape the best because they're trying to figure out what is going to be in the warehouse. Do we have an opportunity to promote it, yeah or nay? But it's also led to enormous creativity. And I would say, you know, if you think our normal promotional schedule was always a week, right? We'd go from Wednesday to Wednesday, and it was always a full week. Well, if you don't know how much you're going to have in the warehouse or or what the crop looks like, if it is good enough to promote, et cetera, maybe a one-day promotion or a three-day promotion, or we see mix and match promotions. So I see many retailers now leveraging produce in combination with meat or deli to say, uh, buy a rotisserie chicken and, and get a dollar off a salad kit, or buy a steak and get $2 off asparagus, or... Here are all these different items, mix and match five packages for $25. And they might, it might include meat, sides, produce, et cetera. Um, so much more creative approaches to leverage the oftentimes attractive price point of produce to help other departments across the store. So I would say good and bad in terms of the promotional landscape. Gotcha. And I was thinking, uh, lo- looking at the the data that we've seen as far as sales and then volume, right? Sometimes a different story between the two, especially with the inflation in recent years, of course. But yeah. I'm I'm curious how we just see berries continue to skyrocket and to have crazy growth for such a mature category, and not just in sales, but in units. 
And I'm just thinking for other categories, what, what can be learned from what's happening with berries? Because it sure seems like they must, must be doing something right because it's, it's quite the outlier. It really is berries and cucumbers. And I, I think maybe in a way cucumbers is a e- more easy to understand story because just in recent years, they really penetrated that snacking segment. And also though, credit where credit is doing cucumbers, it's it's the whole innovation piece, right? Where um, it was first the minis and then it, it became the bite-sized ones. And so really that innovation has then created completely new consumption occasions, or maybe a person who never bought a big cucumber now loves the little ones. And therefore the ring of those is much, much higher, which helps drive sales growth, et cetera. So I think there are some really interesting case studies in that regard. Berries, you're right. I mean, not only are they growing far above average, not only are they growing units, but they're the big dog in the entire department. Like if you look at berries, they're almost as big as the next 10 categories and uh, and year round, you know, they, they really moved from being a, a spring summer sort of purchase to year round. And so I think a lot has to do with the fact that in the off months, uh, berries used to not taste great. And again, innovation. Berries have done a tremendous job by bringing a great looking and tasting product year round. Um, and then I would say they're working really hard with retailers during times where um, the local crop comes in to to also highlight that. And, you know, that's really become a way to constantly bring the visibility for berries um, and, and also rotate through the different ones. And it's just really become a case study of what growth can look like for the produce department. Mm-hmm. And thinking about produce on a larger scale, um, of course, we've seen all all different sorts of reports on on different segments of consumers, right? We know we have our heavy users, we have our light users, um, and it seems like it's a, a pretty decent sized chunk that just aren't eating produce like as part of their daily routine. And I'm curious what we know about those consumers in terms of you know, do they say they don't like it? Do they say it's too expensive? You know, what what rationale are, are people giving? Because the price thing, I, I feel like this whole inflation situation has really brought it to light, right? It's like when the bag of ruffles is $6, I mean, you can't really save price because you could get you could at least get a few different things in the produce department for $6, I feel like. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're you're also approaching it very rationally. Um, I, I think oftentimes people what we consider necessities and primary goods. Um, You know, there's a lot of discussion uh, about that. And there's also certainly aspiration versus reality as people are shopping. But (laughs) but yeah, in in working with IRI and others, uh, yes, we do our light, medium, heavy user um, analysis. And what we often see is that if you, and you divide them up a third, a third, a third. And so a third of, of produce buyers will represent like 60% of dollars because they really oftentimes it comes down to two things. They buy a greater variety and they include it in more consumption occasions. Mm. And then when you look at the lights who only buy produce every once in a while, only buy a handful of items, their engagement tends to be a little bit higher with frozen, with canned, or simply not with fruit and vegetables at all. 
And so it's really not necessarily about can we get them to buy more as it is what are the easiest consumption occasions where we can teach people to start including produce, whether that's fruit or vegetables, a little bit more. Um, and certainly it is somewhat income related. Um, so certainly the whole argument of not being able to afford fruit and veg, um, the produce deserts, as we've talked about, there's a whole bunch of, of reasons why we see some of the lower engagement, but oftentimes it's tradition as well. If you grow up, you know, I always, this kid, where you see tradition play a big role is in frozen versus canned, especially in peas. If you grow up as a, a frozen pea household, more than likely, when you farm your own household, you continue with that. If you always ate canned, that's probably what you continue with. And so that's why it's so important to connect with today's parents, being a lot of millennials, because really the eating habits that are formed today in children is what is going to pay off in years to come. And, uh, you know, that's that's where uh, we really need to focus a lot of our attention and a lot of our marketing and really understanding you know, we there's pressure on money, there's pressure on time, there's pressure on what will the kids eat? Mm-hmm. How do we bring solutions to all of that? Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Well, Emery, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to join me again today and check in here at the end of, gosh, already the end of the first quarter of the year. And um, I know we'll be talking again soon. I was going to say, second quarter, here we come. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my gosh. You'll be here before we know it. So crazy. Well, thank you, again. Uh, thank you again so much for joining me. Thank you to all our listeners for joining us as well. And we'll see everybody next week on the Produce Retail Podcast.